Welcome to The Deep Dive. I'm your host, Philip McKenzie. I'm an anthropologist strategist with a focus on culture and humanity-centered design. I'm Brooklyn-born and Brooklyn-made. Every week, I will bring you guests from a wide variety of backgrounds who, despite their different areas of expertise, share traits in common. They aim high, push boundaries, and make things happen. Their experiences drive insights. So Leslie, it's a pleasure having you with me on The Deep Dive. How are you this morning? So happy to be here. I'm great. Thanks. So, you know, this this book is fascinating on, on so many levels. And, and like I said in the introduction, the, the name of the book is No Place to Go, How Public Toilets Fail Our Private Needs. And I've, I learned so much, not just through your perspective on the challenge of public bathrooms, but that there was even a, a history and a scholarship around around bathrooms at all, right? And and just as a as a little bit of, yeah. of a of a preface as to another reason why this was so interesting to me is that many, many eons ago, I was an architecture major when I was in high school. So I went I went to a specialized high school called Brooklyn Tech. Shout out to all the Brooklyn mm-hmm. Tech people out there. And so we had majors mm-hmm. even when we were in high school. <laughs> and and I was an architecture major. And so I took okay. strength of materials, drafting, one through four, building construction, all this kind of stuff. And so when you're taking a drafting class, you had to do blueprints and floor prints and schematics and all this kind of stuff. And they had all these templates for bathrooms. So that was like the first time that I realized that there are sort of standards towards sinks, bathrooms, even if you're putting them on blueprints, you would just trace it. And they were kind of American standard toilets and sinks. And then there were international or European standards and they were then they were different. So that's kind of my introduction hour that other than a, a person that uses the bathroom <laughs> into the the technicalities of bathrooms in a way that I think maybe even people who don't have that little bit don't realize. And you really took us there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit of your runway into this topic and, and why focusing on mm-hmm. restrooms, bathrooms, toilets is so important to our, our public conversation. But that's a, a great way to put it is a runway into a public conversation because that is actually the trajectory of it for me in terms of my kind of professional engagement with the topic. And I think it's like so many other important community conversations we have in that it hit me personally first. And then I sort of, as I poked around in it, it made me realize, oh, this isn't just about me and my own, you know, what I'm dealing with in this moment. It's not you know, just an inside issue. It's actually a community issue. And so how it kind of played out for me is I had, I I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So it's the biggest city in, but it's a small city. And we, so we have quite a lot of infrastructure. You know, we have a lot of parks and we have a lot of recreation opportunities, but we didn't have a lot of public bathrooms at the time that I started researching this. And I had two small children. I had an infant and a toddler. And I, you know, I was with my kids all the time. We are hardcore urban dwellers. We live downtown and we would frequently go to the closest park to us, which was 
in Halifax, it's called the Common. So it's a big public park in the center of the city. We would just go there, you know, to get out of the house. And I realized immediately, kind of as soon as I had my second daughter, that I just was having a lot of circumstances. I was dealing with a lot of circumstances where I had to rush home because somebody had had an accident. I'm not saying who. (laughs) And, you know, it just, you know, things were not going the way they used to go. And I think a lot of the time those things happen and we just kind of ignore them. But I'm a journalist and I started thinking a little more about the circumstance I was in, about the fact that I wasn't using my city the same way I used to. And I started to find this, you know, as you say, this kind of group of scholars, these, it's a very small, tight group of people who, who look at these issues. And I realized, okay, this is a thing. And, and what I'm experiencing, this change in the way I access urban space is not just me. It's about all of our urban spaces and it's really, really important. So I think when we talk about the community angle of it, we need to think about who is affected by a lack of public toilets. And it's really everybody and in so many different ways because it changes the way we access the city. It changes the economics of downtowns. It changes issues of equity of access to the city. You know, there's so many different ways to crack the nut when we start digging into how bathrooms are essential for our use of public spaces. And and that's that's something that that really struck me because when I was reading through the book, it it started to for me to think about how I live my own life, right? And you know, I'm a native New Yorker, so again, a very dense urban area. And I remember an episode of Seinfeld where George talked about how he knew all the good public bathrooms, right? And and as a as a deep Seinfeld fan, like I, because I was probably college when that kind of period of Seinfeld, and so I wasn't yet working as yep. as a professional in the city, but as a New Yorker, I I felt like that. I always resonated with that because I was like, "Fuck, I'm just like George, right?" Like even today, if I'm setting up meetings and I'm moving around the city, I always know where it's like. <laughs> Oh, there's that W in Union Square. They have a bathroom and there's the Hilton and there's this and there's that. Yeah, like yeah. I knew, and I'm yeah. kind of posh when I go to the bathroom. So yeah. I can't, you know, I can't fuck around with just a Starbucks, <laughs> right? We all like to be. Like I'm not dealing with the <laughs> hotels are Actually, the hotels best, are the right? Best. So here's I a cheat hotels. code, right? Yeah. Like fuck the big ass key <laughs> on the wooden block. The shame stick, oh, right? Stick, like the shame stick. Fuck that, right? You gotta know <laughs> where you can like walk into the right type of hotel where it's not so fancy that they'll stop you, yep. but it's fancy enough that the yep. bathroom is available in the lobby to guests and it's nice, right? It's a it's a fine line, yep. especially as a yep. six foot tall black guy moving yep. around New York City, right? And not everybody has the privilege, right? This is, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is this notion of like, we have this bathroom privilege. We have this, you know, these layers of complexity that stop people from using bathrooms. And I think that that, that, that notion of, you know, I talk in the book about all these layers where it's like, okay, for me personally, and whenever I do any kind of public presentation, I always ask people to just do this little checklist. It's like, I don't, you know, I am a white middle-aged woman. 
nobody stops me going <laughs> anywhere. I have no issues. And we know, you know, your experience tells you that, but we know that black Americans, black Canadians are stopped from using public bathrooms. The the biggest, and I write about this in the book, highest profile was the situation in Philadelphia where two men were arrested trying to use a public bathroom because they were waiting for a third man for a business meeting. And that, you know, that shut down Starbucks across the country yeah, for a absolutely. day. Yeah. But so we have that, but then we also have people who are unhoused, people who, who are dealing with um, mental health issues, people who don't have the money. And I talk about the importance of, it seems absurd. And I think, you know, when you write a book about public bathrooms, I always say there's only two responses. People are either like, that is amazing. Or yeah. they're like, <laughs> they're just back away slowly <laughs> laugh. But you know, think about the the impact of simply being middle class. And I talk about that in terms of like, can I afford to buy the muffin at the coffee shop? You know, it's no sweat, no sweat. If that is the cost I have to pay, that's the cost I pay if I have to go. But yeah, there's so many layers of complexity and like ways that we are kept out of these spaces, which are so important. And, and we accept it, right? Like that's, oh, 100%, that's yeah. the funny thing about it. Like, I, I think about my own experiences. Like I said, you know, I'm, I'm joking, but not so much joking about the hotel, right? Because that's the that's the one time, like, as you move through the world as a black person and, and likely other minorities, where you're both used to being ignored, but mm -hmm. then you're also used to have too much attention, right? Depending on what space you're in, right? So some spaces, nobody gives a shit because they're you're they're like you're invisible. Right. That yeah. usually is when I'm waiting to be checked in at a restaurant. You know, right. people will walk right past me and I'm like, you saw me here. <laughs> right. Like, and the opposite is again going into the hotel where all of a sudden the, the door people are like, can I help you, sir? Are you here for a guest? Yeah. <laughs> or, can, I, can I direct you somewhere? You're like, damn, I just walked through the escalator. Right. Like, can I, can I complete the turn into the door? But, we accept some of those things, but then even in a more leisurely way, like I spend a lot of time at Prospect Park, it's kind of Brooklyn Central mm -hmm. Park, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're having a picnic, you're chilling, you're hanging out. So what are you doing? You're eating and drinking. And then you realize that you're in this huge park with very few bathrooms. And mm -hmm. where there are bathrooms is kind of a walk. Yeah. And then when you get to the bathrooms, the bathrooms are kind of sketch, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, and that's sketchy for like a dude. It's extra sketchy for a woman, right? Because I'm kind of creeping mm -hmm. in. I don't got to touch anything. You know what I mean? Right. But like yeah. women is not like that. Like there's just yeah. more contact with the space. And so yeah. I want to actually use my ridiculous anecdotes to segue into the the gender politics of bathrooms, mm -hmm. which you, you spent, I thought, an excellent way of breaking down the dimensions of of time, the inequity of of space and layout, yep. and just a lot of stuff. Because when you when you did that, it brought me back to that American standards, right? Mm, Stan right. Standard for who? Under what conditions? So I, I want to give you a chance to kind of take us down that the gendered role of of public bathrooms in our sure. in our lives. So there's a whole bunch of foundational things you need to understand if you want to understand why women. Fun, I mean, really where the rubber hits the road, what we're talking about is why women wait in lines to use the bathroom. So women take longer to use the bathroom. So there's, and that, there's a whole bunch of things that tie into that. So it's the fact that women need to go into stalls to urinate. 
we go into the stall, the lock doesn't work. It just takes a little bit of extra time. Women have to remove more clothing. Generally speaking, women sit down, women stand up, women use toilet paper. (laughs) Men don't always use toilet paper. You know, there's a whole litany of these micro moments in the bathroom that extend the amount of time. And so there's a couple studies. So we know statistically this is true. It's not just anecdotal. Um, A couple of studies that show women take about twice as long as men or longer to use the bathroom. On top of that, women also visit the bathroom more frequently. We urinate more frequently than men. And that's contingent upon a whole bunch of things like menstruation, pregnancy. We also visit the toilet more often when we menstruate. We visit the toilet more often when we are pregnant. And, you know, a quarter of all women are menstruating at any one time of women of childbearing age. So it's not, this is not a small amount you know, this is a, a material, a material portion of the population. So there's all that. Women also are primarily caregivers when we look at people who need assistance using the washroom. So if that that can be people who are assisting adults who need help in the bathroom. Those carers are more frequently women and also children. It's just on the balance, it's more women. So you can see this kind of, you start to think about all of this, these tiny things, it's building this mountain of evidence that that, you know, this is why there's a problem. This is why women need more bathrooms, but it it actually gets way worse. And it ties back into your, into your high school, you know, looking at these blueprints, because when we typically in like, oh, I'm going to say older, so like mid 20th century era, and later to buildings, what we see is bathrooms are binary. They're not a single room typically with with just a, you know, this is a toilet. Anybody who needs it goes in, there's a toilet. What we see is binary bathrooms, male, female, side by side. And architects and designers put those spaces in and generally speaking, made them equal in terms of the square footage, which sounds nice if you want an equal world. (laughs) It's it's not what we don't need equality. What we need is equity. And, and, what we see is on the men's side, you may fit two stalls and four urinals in the amount of space. That same square footage on the women's side, you can fit three stalls. And so women need roughly, this is how it breaks down numbers wide, women need roughly two to three times the provision of men. And what we actually frequently see is that we have half what men get. And so that's why you see these long lines. And it kind of gets back to that idea of like, you know, we don't think about it. We don't, we don't think about it. And I write about that quite a bit in the book, how, you know, I lived this and every woman in Canada and the U S and many other places has lived this their whole lives. And we've just kind of been taught in the undercurrents not to think about it, not to, you know, that this is just how it is and you're just going to have to deal with it. And and so we don't we don't dive into it. We don't dissect it. We don't think about why that is, or we explain it in like stupid ways, just right? Deal. Like the yeah, we're doing makeup and oh you yeah, know, we're doing like our pop hair culture <laughs> fantasies, yeah. right? Like we just yeah. I think like every every stupid guy, mm-hmm. of which there are many, most they're all trapped in like these <laughs> adolescent fantasies of like girls going to the bathroom in pods, right? And they stand there and they're not actually using the bathroom because that would be forbidden, right? But what they are doing is talking shit, you know, maybe smoking, putting on putting on extra pouty lipstick, right? So our our minds are triggered to think like, ah, they're just in there like having one big pillow fight, right? (laughs) Like that's why the lines are long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 
it's sexism upon in like institutional sexism. It's like the building is sexist, right? And then on top of that, we rationalize the sexism of the space, this lack of equity in the space by this sexist myth, which is tied into some, yeah. some myth about what women do, which is no basis in reality. Yeah, it's male stupidity, which is like burning, burning the planet at, at every <laughs> turn, right? Like it's... A, <laughs> Oh man, we we've only gotten started. Your words, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> Believe me, I, I use this as a platform to rail against all the things I don't like. So, stupid man, privileged man, and so let's turn to another group of people I don't like: conservatives of all types. So this is not a particular American <laughs> perspective. Wherever you are in the world, if you fly, if you fly the sure. conservative flag yeah. to whatever party that is, you fucking suck. So, to that point bathrooms seem to be such a thing that has captured the limited mind share of conservatives in in so many different ways right in you go back to the civil rights movement it was segregated mm-hmm. bathrooms right you you fast forward now 50 years plus yeah. later we're talking about the binary roles of of bathroom as you bathrooms as you already alluded to with trans rights and what's happening in our bathrooms and there's great crimes are being committed in bathrooms apparently in the you know stilted imagination of the conservative so how does the bathroom become this focal point in the culture wars that's a big question we got we got some time go for it okay so (laughs) Not ever having been in any kind of strategy session <laughs> where people are like, how do we use bathrooms as <laughs> this, you know, space wedge issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'll give my the best opinion I can give, which is bathrooms are intimate spaces. And this is partly why I find them so interesting and also why they are so fraught and frankly, complex to deal with. Because they're they're these interstitial spaces, right? They're they're private. We do very private things in bathrooms, but I'm talking about public bathrooms. We're together here today talking about public bathrooms, and so they kind of straddle that world between public and private. They're also body spaces, right? They're these spaces where we, because of the private nature, you know, we remove clothing, we 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 deal with bodily functions by and large in public bathrooms. And so I think that that's kind of a a very fertile ground for any kind of wedge issue when we think about, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly different in Canada, but I follow a lot of American politics. We, you know, we, we can't help but do that here because we are, we're, you know, we have a giant beside us. And so I do hear a lot, a lot of that kind of discussion about, you know, bathrooms as these hot button, they're like flashpoints for issues of trans rights, particularly. And you see that a lot in American politics in terms of, you know, Roe v. Wade just recently being overturned. And like, these are places people get at, you know, get at the politics they want to get at and get out. So I think that's, you know, that's why they are, they are fertile ground for those issues. How they've kind of become that is in part, I think, because if you make an argument, and this is an argument that has been made quite a bit, is that, okay, anybody who wants, you know, people to be able to use the bathrooms that match their gender identity, I think what people can very easily turn that into is, okay, so you just want men to be in 
in bathrooms with women so they can assault them, right? This is the argument. And that ties to so many things, right? It ties to that that issue of, of bodies. It ties to crime, which is a really convincing way of, you know, convert, you know, getting people to vote for you. As far as I can tell, it's like if you convince people that crime is rampant and there's a lot of crime or a lot of particular crime and you have the solution to this crime, then, you know, you're you're baking in this, oh, I can, you know, here's the problem and I can fix it. Vote for me. So I think that's how bathrooms end up being that. I we know that real on the, you know, in if we think about reality, that this is really not happening as much as it is, you know, it's touted as happening all the time that somehow assaults are happening in bathrooms. And certainly assaults do happen in bathrooms, which is why bathrooms are so tricky too, because and I have a whole chapter in the book about this, about we cannot disregard people's feelings about their own safety. If if a woman is saying, I actually don't feel safe sharing space, and we're talking about, in this case, a gender-neutral bathroom, so a bathroom where anybody anybody goes, I want a space that is only for women. And that may, so when we think about that, that may mean women who are biologically and in terms of their gender women, or it may mean trans women, which are, who are women. So like it gets really murky there and we want to respect what people's opinions are when they're based in their lived experience. But what we've seen, what I've seen quite a bit and I talk about in the book is like basically people just completely manipulating this fake notion that there's a whole bunch of men going into bathrooms and, and attacking little girls or attacking women. And that's just not, that's not borne out in reality. And and there is a a, right? a moment of vulnerability in a bathroom, right? In a in a public bathroom, right? Because you're, you know, For your sure. pants are down around your legs. Maybe you know you're you're not in the most conducive moment to like run, mm-hmm. right, right? Or or fight, right? So yeah. it's it's yeah. it's kind of a, a weird moment in the in the public space. But I, I think you opened up like so many interesting things in there because very recently in New York, they announced in the like maybe a week or two ago that after all of the COVID precautions and everything, they've just started opening, reopening public bathrooms in the subway, right? So there's there's not that many of them, but they are some. And so whatever few they are, given the the vastness of the New York City subway system, they've they've started to reopen them. And yeah. I've quite frankly never used a New York City <laughs> subway bathroom. Oh. Even I have used a New York City subway bathroom. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh my God. You've got to tell me what that experience was like. You're, like. you're not talking like being in Grand Central Station, right? You're talking about just a regular. No, although I have used the bathrooms there okay. too. Okay. <laughs> I, I have used the bathroom in Grand Central Station, but I don't count that. I'm talking about like you're on the two train in a random stop and there's a bathroom. <laughs> like I have never done that. And they, and they, I do like my posh hotel bathrooms, but I'm just not comfortable well, you like in New your York po- City you like your posh hotel bathroom. station bathroom. <laughs> like that just feels like it would be horrendous. <laughs> so, okay. So why though? Tell me why. Because I think that's, I think this is one of the super interesting things, right? It's like when we talk about bathrooms, we have this, like we, when we talk about bathrooms, we talk about sketchy bathrooms and gross bathrooms and really nice bathrooms and where's the best bathroom and I know but it's like when we think about how we feel about bathrooms I think it's important to like ask ourselves why do we feel this way so why tell me why yeah I mean 
New York City subways aren't clean, right? By and large, right? There's rats down there. Like they're mostly on the track, yeah. but they I've been on enough platforms where they're on the platforms. And I'm like, the 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 bathroom is on the platform, right? So it's it's, it's not like the rats like yeah. I'm not going to go to the bathroom, right? I I think if I'm a rat on a New York City subway platform, the bathroom's kind of where I want to be, right? Like it's it's probably less occupied. I could kind of chill. There might be some trash in there that I could fuck around with unbothered. And I'm not trying to go in a bathroom and see a rat. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, you get- So it's very like specific with me. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Like, I think you get at something interesting there, which is this, um, and it ties into the issue with, you know, all the politics around bathrooms and fear. It's like, when we, like, when we think about the kind of weird trumped up notion of, you know, men going into women's bathrooms and that whole political thing. But also when we talk about bathrooms being safe or unsafe, I think we need to remember that the more people are using a bathroom the safer the bathroom is. And that goes for any urban space, right? Generally speaking, the more people who are there, that you're safer. There's more, there's more eyes on you. There's more eyes on the situation. There's more cell phones. There's more, you know, there's more safety in numbers, if I can put it that way. And so I think that's another complication of the bathroom because, you know, I don't prospect park. I don't know where the bathrooms are, but a lot of like historically bathrooms were always in parks, but this is like, we're talking, you know, mid 20th century, earlier than that too. Bathrooms, it's like, okay, municipalities like, we need bathrooms. We have to have bathrooms. It's like, okay, let's put them in the parks. Yes. Okay. It's like, put them way in the back of the park. Nobody wants to see that. Bathrooms are gross. They're, they're gross. Just put them way back there. They're embarrassing. And so it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy about safety and attention And we still see that a little bit. So when you think about the New York City subway system or any subway system, it's like, it's, you know, important to have bathrooms. But then if it's a station where there are very few people, that presents a whole bunch of issues around, around safety, legitimate safety issues, but also this, you know, the cleanliness and. It's it's interesting because fewer people to me, depending on the circumstance, like I'm going to take New York City out of it because our church. Our subways are just the worst, but um, okay, fair. Less occupied to me is actually better. The in my mind, interesting because I think that it's cleaner. Okay, because once because if if the public bathrooms were like well staffed mm. and cleaned like regularly, like yes. I've always said this, like I was like if I ever owned like a restaurant or something, I want like one person whose job it is to just every hour go into bathrooms and just do a general yeah. quick, 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 clean everything up, right? Like the, the paper towels, whatever's yeah. around, just clean it, you know? And what I found is that if it's a bathroom that's a little obscure, right? Like even when I was in college, I was like, oh, what floor don't people go to, mm-hmm. right? Oh, the third floor lit lounge. No yeah, one's yeah. ever in there, yeah. right? And you can just go and chill, Right. And because it's not used, it tends to be cleaner. But like high traffic bathrooms, they just get like, they just get to be a mess. And they get this like layer of like wetness on the floor. (laughs) 
Okay. Yes. But <laughs> counterpoint, counterpoint that what you're describing there, not the wetness, which is grody, <laughs> but what you're describing there is it is like, it's an incommensurate amount of attention being paid to the bathroom. Yeah. So take, take, take bathrooms out of it for a second. Think about like a crosswalk. I don't know. Do you know what I mean when I say a beg button at a crosswalk? Where you have to press the button if you want to cross. Press that thing that's just a, a placebo to make you think you have control over traffic. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's assume it's not a placebo. It's like, okay, if it's a high, high traffic intersection for pedestrians, that thing is going to be pressed a lot. And presumably, if the world works in the way I think it does, but now I'm calling everything into question because of what you just said. You know, that the little light behind the little person who says you may walk now is gonna that Mm -hmm. bulb is gonna go out more frequently because it's being used more often and so the city's response to that is unquestionably well we have to replace that bulb more frequently and you know that that's what would happen because cities on the whole do take care of the things that need to be taken care of they do they do replace stop signs. They may not do it as quickly as we want, but like they replace stop signs. They fix benches that get burnt down. They, you know, replace garbage cans that get crushed by cars. They they do all those things. But if we port that back into the world of the bathroom, somehow it's like, oh, well, you know, we don't pay as much attention to bathrooms. We don't, we don't think how well used is this bathroom and how much how much maintenance and cleaning does it actually need to function the way it needs to function? Yeah. And and that's really my main thing. Like I would love, like if I'm in Prospect Park all day, because I want to spend all day there, right? Like I want to get there at noon and leave at sunset, Yeah. right? But a lot of times I'm leaving hours before I would because I got to go to the bathroom, right? Which which you make a, a similar point about tourism, yeah. right? Yeah. That if public bathrooms were more available in our world, people wouldn't be like going back to their Airbnb or going back to their hotel or their friend's house or whatever the fuck they're doing. Right. And so my inclination is like, I love, I feel bathrooms should be, you know, readily available and there should be a lot of them. I just want like there to be like an attendant there, like, or like a schedule, right. Where they're like, you know what? Mm. We opened at 10 11 o'clock, I'm going to go back in and kind of shut it down for two, three minutes, do a quick clean. Then I'm going to come back, right? You know, flush anything that hasn't yeah. been flushed and do all the stuff, right? And and that's the disconnect, yeah. Yeah. right? That I feel like we miss so much when we don't talk about bathrooms because we don't talk about the practical things that are needed to create an environment that is welcoming and comfortable. For everybody. Yes. And you know, there are some bathrooms who kind of have systems built in that way. And so three that I mentioned in the book are um, Herald Square and Greeley Square in Manhattan are these two bow tie shaped parks and they have bathrooms on either end. I don't know how many blocks apart they are, but basically when I was researching and writing the book there, I talked to one of the bathroom cleaners there who that was his whole shift. He went from one end to the other end all day long, just cleaning those bathrooms. And they needed that because they were very high traffic bathrooms. Bryant Park is the same. You know, those bathrooms are amazing bathrooms and they have attendance. I mean, those are really nice. Have you been in those bathrooms? Let's see, you know, with Bryant Park, here's my hack. 
I go to the library. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. I mean, yeah, right behind, but you've got to go in the Bryant park bathrooms. They're amazing. Really? They're like next level hotel bathroom. They're fantastic bathrooms. Oh my gracious. I feel, I feel excited. Like I wish I could never have gone in them so I could experience going in them for the first time. They're great bathrooms. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The Bryant. See, I would, I've seen them. I have seen them, but I've not gone in them. But because I, like I said, I, I always go to the library, right? Like that's one of my hacks for that area. It's like, ah, right. Fair enough. The New York City Public Library is right there with very nice bathrooms. <laughs> right. So if we think about like this, so the, the attendance at, at Bryant and then also Harold and Greeley, that cleaner, like that's giving enough attention to those bathrooms, I would argue, right? It's giving a great amount of attention. It's not given, it's not paid for out of the goodness of somebody's heart. Um, those are run by business association organizations, and they they maintain those bathrooms because they want people to enjoy their time there. And this relates to you know Prospect Park, and it relates to malls, like places that have nice bathrooms. It relates to tourism. It also relates to downtown cores that want people to shop downtown and not go to the mall. Nice bathrooms keep people in places longer because they can have their needs met there. And I always talk about bath- bathrooms in malls are typically, they're, they're great. They're amazing. They're nice because they want people to stay. They have a food court yep. because they want people to have their lunch and continue shopping afterwards, you know? So what's really interesting about bathrooms is I think sometimes on the surface of it, people are just dismissive. It's like, oh, they're, they're really costly and they're gross and they're, they're just a, this pit of like, political and gender and every possible metric complexity. But actually, if we look at numbers, we can see very clearly that there's not merely a, you know, a social justice case for bathrooms, there's an economic case for bathrooms. It's very clear. And yet somehow, our cultural neuroses around bathrooms even get the better of us in that regard and we still don't have enough bathrooms yeah and and to your point because i want to talk about this a little bit like the public versus private right in the sense that yeah it's a it's in the public sphere right because it's not inside your home right and you're doing private things right in this in this moment whatever it is you're doing it feels it's private Mm -hmm. and intimate to you but you mentioned in, in your example and, and within the book, like, you know, there's business associations paying for this stuff. And and I feel like it should be well compensated work, right? Like I would love for there to be like a highly paid person whose job it is to keep bathrooms super clean, right? And so my my question yep. is, how do we firmly put conversations around bathrooms and their maintenance and creation into the public sphere where I am not relying on the Bryant Park Business Association to maintain a bathroom. Because if I'm in an area, like the area I live in right now is fairly residential. There's a business strip, but not really one, right? But someone could conceivably need a bathroom, right? But there's no Albany Avenue Business Association, right? So how how do we manage this where the public good is not on the whim of some private business slash semi-private kind of thing and truly lives in the public yeah. sphere. 
meaning the city's paying for this or the state's paying for this or whoever. Yeah. So I think there's a couple ways into it. I think there's a few ways in actually. One is that notion of, you know, do you want to provide for people in your city? This a strictly equity or social justice perspective, you know, like, do you care about people? And if you care about people, then you need reasonably accessible in terms of geography and and coverage in cities, you know, you need bathrooms. There's also a health aspect, you know, and I talk about this in the book, we've, there's, there's lots of open defecation in major Canadian and US cities. And that is not vandalism. (laughs) That is because people do not have places to go. And that's a very that, you know, causes hepatitis outbreaks, it causes a number of other health concerns that are serious public health issues. So do you want to fix that? Great, then you need more public bathrooms. And then there's that economic question, you know, growth is always different in different cities. But I know a lot of cities have been working to revitalize downtowns. This is, you know, a project over the last 20 years or so that that is directly, directly related to public bathrooms. And is there are there public bathrooms that you provide on city streets? So these business associations have stepped up and provided because they can see the business case for it. I really argue in the book that, you know, publicly accessible bathrooms, and by that I mean in the Starbucks, in the McDonald's, the Bryant Park is a good example. These are bathrooms that are not paid for by tax dollars. They are paid for by private corporations or, or private entities. Those bathrooms can fill a lot of gaps and they really help people out. But they are at root problematic because people can be stopped from using them. And so that ties back into our earlier conversation about, you know, all the ways that people are occasionally limited from using bathrooms. We don't see that when it's a public bathroom because a public bathroom is for the public. It does, there's no, there's no change in access depending upon who you are. So ideally, I think we should strive for public versus publicly accessible. And I also would, I often point out this, this kind of situation where, you know, imagine we lived in this world where we decided that Starbucks was going to be in charge of the streetlight in front of the Starbucks. We just would never say that was acceptable because we would not, first of all, nor should we want to put that on the business, right? Because that's clearly, it's a municipal good. It's an urban good and tax dollars should cover that. But also we shouldn't trust businesses to provide because businesses are not, that's not their business, right? They are providing for customers, but they're not providing for everybody. So I think that's why private bathrooms make, so pardon me, public bathrooms make so much more sense and public, you know, fundamentally in terms of taxpayer funded. I think that there's two kind of streams of thought in the the very small gang of public bathroom researchers and thinkers and writers. And some people say, if it's a bathroom, I don't care where it is. And they're okay. A bathroom is a bathroom is a bathroom. And then there's other of us. And I fall into this latter camp who say, you know what, private is really the way we need to go. And I'll say one last way of kind of getting into that, because you ask, you know, how do we get municipalities to sort of step up and, and recognize it? It's also you know, municipalities talk a lot about walkability and livability and aging in place and active transportation and public transit. And, you know, and we are even making 
all of us these bigger goals to reach, you know, carbon neutrality and to get to these things that we need to do. And that all ties into these smaller things down the line. And so when we think about a walkable city, we have to have bathrooms. When we think about a a bikeable city, we have to have bathrooms because we need to support people on those routes. And that even ties into the subway bathrooms, you know? You want people who are commuting need bathrooms. I think that's another way you can kind of point out the absurdity in the notion that cities are very happy to step up and say, yeah, we want we want aging in place. We want livability. We want walkability. It's like, well, if you want that, then here's that piece of the puzzle. And that is a budget line item. Yeah. And and I think this opens us up to kind of even think about the culture aspects of this, that, you know, again, these are things that by and large, people don't feel you talk about in, you know, polite spaces, right? Like, you know, this is, this is something that we kind of pretend mm. doesn't happen to some extent, and we kind of keep it in the back somewhere, but when we don't talk about these things in a very sort of Puritan way, it it allows for us to, in my opinion, kind of miss the opportunity to to do things a little better, right? And then we we sort of obscure the reality yeah. of of what's going on into these into these norms. So I, you know, I I think so much about the these ideas, like we, we talked a little bit about, about race and bathrooms, right? That their bathrooms were segregated and you couldn't, you know, black people couldn't use certain bathrooms. And, you know, for, for decades that affected how black people literally traveled, right? Like if they were on the road, they knew there were places they, they couldn't stop to use the bathroom, right? So, or eat, right? Or both, right? So they, pack food everywhere they went. They they yeah. knew those places. The gr- or get a drink of water from a fountain. Yeah. The green book is an entire thing. Not only where you can be safe, but yeah. where you can yeah. do all those other things. And I, I think that there's we're still locked into some of that thinking, right? That if I'm going out into the world, I have to prepare everything I'm doing to avoid having to use the bathroom. Right? How long am I going to be out? What do I need to bring? Eh, I can't have that that drink before I leave because then before I get into the office, I have to use a bath. There's all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. So how do we yep. kind of crack that culture code to surface the conversation more so we can start to get things on that line item? Right. Where I'm not looking at a project to do like the High Line here in New York. And there's not a bathroom in sight, right? Like you want me to walk miles, but there's not that many bathrooms, Mm -hmm. right? So I think, I mean, I guess on the positive side, I think we kind of are starting to get there. And I would point to the evidence of, you know, so many municipalities, large and small, in their municipal public bathrooms are adding menstrual care products. And that's not, you know, that's not something that didn't come up in a council meeting for whatever city that's happening. You know, there people were talking about periods in council. And I think that that's a shift. I think that that's something that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago, 15 years ago. So I think that that's a positive. I think we've, we've had changes in, in the way we talk about these things. I think that that can lead to perhaps better conversations. And then there's other cities who, where, you know, the conversations are actually happening. I write quite a bit in the book about 
Portland, Oregon, which has had this very robust network of on-street, free, publicly funded bathrooms, the Portland Loo. They actually have a proprietary bathroom that they designed. So I think that if we can start to have those kind of conversations, and those were conversations happening in Portland, like, you know, 15 years ago, longer. So I think we can get there. I think we often don't get there because our initial instinct is just to um, try not to think about it. Try not to think about using the bathroom. It's not polite. It's gross, like, which is absurd. But I think that's that speaks to our, our cultural neurosis around this. And I also, you know, it and it really does take, I think it almost takes a particular moment or a particular person mm-hmm. to really drive change in a city. It takes one person who's willing to step up and really, you know, make a lot of noise about an issue. And, you know, not every, not every local government has that person who's stepping yeah. up for that, for that positive change. But I think that's what we need. It's easier to talk about crime. <laughs> yeah. But also I think COVID really complexified it too, because on the one hand, I think COVID took up so much of the oxygen in the room for in everywhere for so long that it kind of shifted all of the attention shifted to that and shifted away from other things that could, that could have been happening. Like who knows where we would be if we had not had to deal with this ongoing pandemic. But I was really hopeful at the at the beginning of COVID because what I saw happening was I write a lot in the book about how particular people experience that kind of bathroom privilege and how people are excluded from those spaces. And all of a sudden, people who had the highest level of privilege, you know, who could access any bathroom anywhere, all of a sudden, those people could feel what people who have compromised access feel all the time. And I thought, okay, like, you know, if we can harness this and get people to realize that this, this, you know, inability to go walk your dog, as far as you want to walk your dog, during COVID because you cannot go into the rec center bathroom that you always hit on Sunday morning at 10, 15 AM, you know, you can't go in there anymore. You're going to start to realize what other people are dealing with. And we also saw, I can't speak too much to the U S but in Canada, like many, many major cities made, made uh, space for outdoor public bathrooms during COVID. Like they shifted particularly I'm thinking in Halifax where I live the public library, which is a, you know, has quite a few bathrooms. And in, you know, like most cities is very, very well visited. They put portable bathrooms outside. And then, you know, and then added to that, you know, they had hand washing stations, they were providing people with snacks, they had wraparound services, social workers, so they kind of moved a lot of that outside. So I hoped that that would be something that would really galvanize people to start thinking bigger about bathrooms. But I think that that overwhelming like financial and mental toll of COVID has sort of dulled that movement. Yeah, we, we never got that far here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like <laughs> there was there's we got as far as restaurant sheds and and then that was <laughs> that was the end of it, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Any sort of ambition to have a, a bigger more robust conversation around true public access to almost anything <laughs> in the United States. What's this a bathroom? 
was not really in the cards. But I, I do think it was a missed opportunity to kind of talk about general cleanliness, right? Like if we're in the moment of a pandemic, an ongoing pandemic, despite what they're trying to tell us, COVID is real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I was hoping for an opportunity to just do all of our spaces better, you know, better ventilation, better cleaning, yeah. more steady cleaning, you know, I'm big on clean. <laughs> right. So I was I'm like, getting what? A sense, Philip. Yeah, how, <laughs> how, I feel that. Yeah, I, I think it's so important, <laughs> right? Like it's super critical. Yeah, it, it is. And ba- bathrooms fit into that. So it's like, you know, when bathrooms were closing during COVID, I was like, but that's where people wash their hands. Exactly. Like that's hand hygiene. And also, yeah, they're in closed spaces. You're right. That is higher risk. But nobody's talking about closing down elevators and giant condo buildings. Like yeah, we need all of those things, right? Like it's, it's we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was one of the, the one of the things that really made me smile as I was taking notes is that the book, there's so many overlapping issues that if you if you've never given it a thought, you might you might miss, which I think is also on purpose, right? But I think once yeah. it starts to get laid out for you, it's so obvious because we've because we've all experienced yeah. <laughs> these things, right? It's the going into a, a bathroom and there's like a what I'll call like a residential house size garbage can, but it's a public bathroom. Mm-hmm. And so two people have gone in there and it's overflowing <laughs> with like paper yeah. towels, right? And I'm like, uh, this is the same garbage can I have like in my home bathroom <laughs> yeah. or home bedroom where I throw away like one thing, right? Like you never use that that bath that um that garbage can in your bedroom. You throw literally throw away one thing, and they have that same size garbage can in a r- restaurant, right? Like a two hundred table restaurant. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, emptying it, right? And it's not your restaurant where somebody's going in all the time to check it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cra- it's a crazy thing. So these are all the things that are going on in my mind. So you know, the book is amazing because it it, it really locks you into thinking about the things you do and how the world presents itself. Right. And I've, and I've realized this is why I've kept a, a running diary of every neighborhood in Manhattan. I know where there's a bathroom. Right. And and if there's any change in that, it's, I'm in a state of panic. Yeah. You are George Costanza. You are literally. I am, <laughs> I am George Costanza, you know, <laughs> if anyone needs to know they're having a meeting in Tribeca, I know exactly where to send you if you need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> It'll be really nice. Um, I, w- I want to get us to the final two segments of the show. Um, the first one is off the dome with just a, a few rapid mm-hmm. fire questions. Few is too much. I probably have like two or three. And I'm going to try to keep them bathroom related, right? I'm ready. One of them you've already kind of answered, but I wanna give, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer it again. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Your favorite public bathroom. Okay. Bryant Park. And, and you knew you knew I was gonna say that. I knew you were gonna say that, but like, what is it about it that makes it so special? Is there a piano player? Like, what's going on there? There is there is piped in classical music. Uh, there are fresh flowers on the walls. The attendant is just lovely that there's an attendant there. I mean, you don't see attendants very much anymore. It's so nice. But you know what? Any good clean bathroom is a good bathroom for me. But Brian Park is, I you know, 
That's my fave. You know, you reminded me when you mentioned bathroom attendants. You know, if you ever wanted, you know where there's still bathroom attendants? Nightclubs. What? <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are still there because when you come out of the bathroom and it's such a pressure laden thing. So you're in the club, right? I don't go to clubs that much, but there's a time in my life when I was yeah. in the club deeply. And so you're in the club, <laughs> right? And you go to the bathroom and there's like a dude in there with like the little tuxedo thing kind of going on. And they have like a whole display of shit. Mints, gum, lollipops, cologne. You are so much more posh than me. No, th- no, these are just regular <laughs> clubs. Not in, not in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh, yeah. If you were out doing any kind of nightlife, you go, you use the bathroom, and then he he pulls because yeah. it's usually a he. He pulls like some paper towels, yeah. hands them to you. Then they're like, "Mint, my brother," and you know, and and then you tip them, oh. right? So it's a legit business. So if you want right. to go out, yeah. and if you want to see bathroom attendants next time you're in New York right. City, we got to go kick it. We got to go to a legit club at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you will and you will see them. That's amazing. I would love to do that. <gasps> there you go. And I'll take you to Bryant Park. There you go. And we won't go in the library. And we'll go to the library because libraries are amazing. But but we'll go to Bryant Park if we have to use the bathroom. <laughs> so that's that's got to be an addendum research to the next book: bathroom attendants in in nightlife. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, it could be like a you know when you reprint this one. It's a very niche book. You just add a add a chapter. <laughs> add a chapter. Oh yeah, add a chapter. <laughs> so my next off the dome: paper towel versus air dryer. Pros, cons. A hundred percent paper towel. paper towel. It does not spray bacteria everywhere. Um, It actually works to dry your hands. You can take as much as you need. You don't have to press a button or try to go the, I mean, nobody can see me, but you know, everybody knows the hand movement, (laughs) trying to get it to turn on Um, and they're compostable. So yeah, hundred percent. And you can use the paper towel to hold the doorknob when you're leaving, you know, instead of me trying to like to the door, yeah, use my elbow to try to like, or my shoe yeah, we're on exactly the same wavelength. Yeah, have you seen the foot things, the little claw things on the bathrooms? I haven't seen that. Okay, so they're these. Um, they have one at my. I work at a university, and they have one. It's like a. I'm calling it a claw thing. It's like a piece of metal that's attached to the bottom of the door, so you can just imagine mm. your foot just kind of pulls the door open. It's got little treads on it, and you can pull it enough. I mean, there. It's very challenging to open a heavy door with your leg. But it lets you get your elbow out and then no touching the handle. See that I I think that sounds good in theory, but I'm not trying to scuff up my my new Nike Air Force Ones. Well, that's yeah. <gasps> so, Where did you get new Nike Air Force Ones? Ah, I have to send you a picture of them. They've been quite the rave lately. Well, geez, <laughs> I can't find those anywhere. So yes. <laughs> and and my my final off the dome is stalls. Door to the floor or door with a crack where you can see feet? <laughs> oh, door to the floor. Because it's just civilized, you know? It's just civilized to have the door to the floor. I'm not even positive what the rationale is for the uh, the crack at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's crack. It's not a crack. It's like 18 inches. Um, I guess so you don't get locked in the bathroom. But like, really? Who gets locked in a bath? Like, when was the last time somebody got well and truly locked in a bathroom? No. Door to the floor. Door to the floor. Well, there we are. Those were those were awesome. Uh, so our our final segment is 
The Drop. And The Drop is just anything at all that we recommend to listeners. It can be serious, it can be not, whatever it is. So I'll go first just to set the tone. Um, My Drop is a TV show, a TV series that I just finished last week. It's on Netflix. It's called From Scratch. And if you want something that's going to take you in directions that you didn't think and also like give you all the feelings, I'm definitely recommending this to everybody. Like it was a, it was sneaky way better than I thought when I read the little description and I saw the pictures, I was like, okay, this is a eat, pray, love kind of, you know, I fell in love with Tuscany kind of thing. I get it. Like, I'm going to totally watch that. But I also was like, eh, whatever. (laughs) Totally not that. Super dope. Really, really good. I know everybody's watching all that Jeffrey Dahmer murder shit on Netflix, but don't don't fuck with that, right? Ryan Murphy sucks. Yeah, go with me. go with from scratch. Highly recommend, and that's my drop. Okay, I had a whole plan with a book. I thought just thought like, oh, a book, yeah. But now you know what? No one I'm gonna say is last night. My husband and I were going to watch a scary movie, and we started watching a scary movie, which will remain unnamed, and we turned it off. And I was like. What about this? Old enough. It's on Netflix. It's a Japanese television show where they send basically toddlers to run errands. <laughs> They're like 10 minute episodes. <laughs> the first one, we we're like, what is happening? It's a not even three year old, and they send him a kilometer away from home to buy groceries. It's awesome. <laughs> on a freeway. <laughs> Old enough is completely, it is the most suspenseful. Yeah. So- thing (laughs) you will ever watch in your life will little hizakawa make it up this hill with like these melons tofu a cantaloupe (laughs) i was like oh i forgot the sweet the sweet curry i gotta go back to the store it's like this is you're three you're not even three (laughs) old enough is on the edge of your seat drama (laughs) it's true it is it is uh, you know, if I was a trailer for that show, would be like a harrowing, spine tingling adventure, right? It's like watching these kids and, they, and when they're lined up, like it's like the Tour de France, right? They're all like rooting. You could do it, Tetsuo. You know, it's amazing. I, I co-signed your drop. That is, I love that show. <laughs> But you can give us the book too. It doesn't have to be it one is. thing. Oh yeah, I'm reading a great book right now, Empire of Pain by uh, Patrick Radden Keefe. It's about the Sackler dynasty. The Sacklers are the um, family that owns Purdue Pharma, which is the makers of OxyContin. Yeah, so it's a really, in- really interesting family history and kind of dissection of the opioid crisis and and how the family uh, responded. Yeah, really great. Yeah, they're criminals. That's how they responded. So well-researched. Yeah. I watched Dope Sick as well on Hulu, which kind of is a dramatization of that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, they should be under the jail. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and I'm a prison abolitionist and I'm like, nah, fuck them. (laughs) Under the prison for that. (laughs) Everybody else let them out, but those fuckers, nah, they need to go. They're the worst. (laughs) So two great drops. You know, Leslie, this has been a, a great conversation. I I love the book. I think the oh, topic so is fascinating. I want everybody to 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 listen to this and spend the rest of their time talking about bathrooms and and going to the bathroom. Get radicalized. Get yeah, radicalized. This is the moment. Yeah. What radicalized you? 
this conversation about bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Leslie, this was awesome. Thanks so much for being on The Deep Dive. Thanks for having me on, Philip. You can listen to The Deep Dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at FarFlungPhil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.